0: Welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D., the Dead Po Hitter. You can catch me on X at Dead Pull Hitter, the pod itself at Pull Hitter Pod. My guest tonight is Mr. Seth Trackman. Seth has been in the fantasy baseball game for a long time, producing contact and crushing fantasy leagues, And whether it be the Tout Expert Leagues or the NFBC last year. Seth had 16 cashers in the NFPC, seven first places including six draft champions and an online auction championship, six second place finishes, including his main event and his super and his 15 draft champion team averaged 103 points. Pretty fascinating. We talk about his play, how he likes to set up his rosters, how he likes to rank his players. Great conversation getting to know Seth as well. Come check me out on the patreon patreon.com you can put PullHitterFantasy fantasy into the search bar or it's also my pin tweet on X. Take you right over there. We have a week trial right now. You can come see, if you like, what I'm producing, Um, doing a whole bunch of stuff, player breakdowns, draft boards. I provide uh, full draft breakdowns of my draft champions from front to back. Half the draft is for the $10 tier. The other half is for the all-in $20 tier. Come check it out. Right now for the year, for an annual, you get two months free. So we're waiting for you. You get free access to the Discord when you sign up, which is pumping right now. at the best Discord around. Several threads, several channels. We got different conversation going for auctions, for online championship, for draft champions, um, what to do when you get to the Vegas draft? everything. We have a Launch Angle thread where you can submit questions for the Launch Angle crew that we do for the Patreon, and which is every other Launch Angle podcast that we do goes to the Patreon with Jeff and Rob. So come check it out, waiting for you, and you'll enjoy the Discord where you'll get knowledge and fantasy insight for, from everybody, and it'll help you a lot in your fantasy baseball prep for the year. So enjoy this episode with Seth. Hi, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D., the Deadpool Hitter. I got a special guest on today, Mr. Seth Trachtman. Um I found Seth just consistently crushing NFBC leagues, and I had him on the list for players to talk to in the off season. And here he is today, Seth, thanks for joining me. What's going on?
1: Not too much, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I wanted to get to a little bit to know about you. Um, I know you've had a long history in the fantasy baseball world. And, um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do now and how you started playing this, uh, crazy hobby that we know, fantasy baseball.
1: Sure. So I, I could probably talk for an hour about my <laughs> career in the industry. Um, I started playing basically as a kid. I was like in middle school, uh, mid to late 90s. And I was, I think the first game I ever played, it was this sorry cap game called Small World, which is a defunct company now. Um, But there weren't a lot of like online games around back then. So that just happened to be the first one I played. Um, I did some writing about fantasy baseball as a hobby through high school. Um, And then kind of like lucky. I lucked into writing for foxsports.com for a while um, in college um, and some other publications. Um, I interned for Sporting News. They used to have a full-time fantasy sports department um, in the early to mid-2000s, so I interned there through college, um, worked for them. Um, Then uh, later on, I got a job with Fanball, which actually purchased uh, NFFC for a while, although that's Kind of a, a dark time for some with the NFFC and NFBC. So I don't want to, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to bring back PTSD to anybody, but yeah, I helped to run NFBC and NFBC with, uh, with Greg and Tom for a couple years. Um, and then, uh, when that ended, I did some work on magazines for the sporting news, where I wrote all their player profiles for their fantasy baseball magazines, um, Street and Smiths. Stone um Smith there's
0: a name. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. Yeah, unfortunately they uh, got shut down due to the pandemic. Um oh, but yeah, man. yep. Um I did freelance for Roto World for I want to say 7 years where I had a couple weekly columns for them during the fantasy baseball season. Um and there's probably I don't want to offend anybody, there's probably other jobs I've had in the industry that just aren't top of mind right now. But yeah, this is, it's been a long time. I've, I've been doing this for a long, long time.
0: That's amazing. That's a long, that's a long track record there. And also to, um, taking me back to the magazine days, you know, you said so many names there that just triggered like my first, uh, memories of, of, of playing fantasy, just pick like my, my brothers would pick up all the magazines and, you know, just pour through them. And something there's something that it's, it's just so beautiful about having that in your hand, you know, um, I, I kind of miss it. But at the same time, I also like, you know, like the baseball forecaster now is it comes in a nice PDF and I can I can actually, you, you know, just highlight things and like control F things so easily. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, It makes it easy to do that. But it's also, you know, good to have it in your hand as well
1: yeah i i do miss the magazines i i I currently write some for lindy's annuals um so i haven't completely left that space but definitely when you're looking on the newsstand now there's probably maybe a quarter of what was there five or ten years ago and which is which is kind of sad but that's just the way it's been going
0: yeah so you 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 have a website is that is that something that you're constantly doing content on for the fantasy baseball seasons that's-
1: so i did launch like a personal blog website last year sethroto.com mm-hmm. um, where i put a lot of my profiles um, and a lot of my prospect list um, and some updates i'm probably going to take a different approach to that this year and to be honest and upfront with you i haven't exactly decided what i'm going to do there but there definitely will be updates um if you go there but if you just you know go to my my twitter um i'll probably some put some up there some updates there between videos of dogs that i like to retweet yeah. on there
0: and you're at, at seth roto there so it's seth and at seth roto on on x twitter uh whatever people call it. but i did i definitely did like a lot of the play reports like they're they're really they're really in depth i kind of i love reading that i think that, like. that's the best things about any kind of ranking or, or like player profile page or like a, like a positional thing, it could just be a couple of sentences, but it may just be something that you completely miss, because we can't catch everything, you know, mm-hmm. so I like I like those little quick, like blurbs on players. Um, so you play in tout right now. Yeah, so I've
1: been in tout. I was originally in ale only I think I joined around 2011. And then, um, I won AL in 2016. I switched to the 15 team mixed draft. I want to say about five years ago. Um, and I won that last year. It was honestly probably the best team I've drafted in my life. Kind of some of it was skill. A lot of it was luck. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still in the 15 team mixed draft for tout.
0: Well, um I never haven't done an AL or NL only. Um I did play my first rotisserie league that I played by myself, uh, without like a partner or anything. And um it was a league that my friend introduced me to some guys in the Bronx when I used to live um in Brooklyn and um it was the whole field except for the NL West and the AL West, it was so but when they started it you know they didn't get their stats you know from the west coast so but i was like hey but that's still that's available now
1: (laughs) i have never heard of that i know some stat services now cover that still i think on roto might cover that but i've never actually heard of anybody just omitting divisions That's just
0: divisions cool. and it was so wild because they had like a mathematical equation so like the second year I was in the league the two extra people came in the league and there was this grand email and they were like oh according to our ratios of of player like the, the player pool to the owners we, we're going to allow you know the houston astros and um I think it wasn't the Dodgers. Or I think it was the Astros and the Giants. I'm like, why do you get to pick the, the teams, too? But I don't, it was so strange. <laughs> but they had this list, and I think it was probably out of one of those, um, like, the original rotisserie books, you know? And it was, like, an actual ratio that they went by. So anytime... And like the third year I was in the league, so a team dropped out, so they tried to take away the Astros. I'm like, I just pick Carlos Correa in like the reserve keeper round. I'm like, there's no way that you're you're telling me you're getting rid of this team now. <laughs> that, like, that
1: sounds <laughs> a little bit like when the Astros moved <laughs> leagues and I was uh in both AL and NO only leagues and they were trying to remove my keepers. And obviously I was not happy
0: about that. Of course it's like, no way you can't do that. You cannot do that in a keeper league. I was, I was so I fought tooth and nails just to keep that. It was a very strange league. So it was, it was an auction league. And so me and my brother joined the same year and a guy we worked with, we talked to him every day about fantasy and we're like, Oh, okay. It's going to be nice. We'll just go there. He's like, it's an auction league It's a keeper league. So they sent us to teams who were taken over and, um, so we get there and everyone's excited you know so um they call up the first guy right and um the guy called him out for a dollar and i went four and they go whoa 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 what are you doing and i'm like what do you mean what i'm doing? he's saying it's an auction and like yeah but it goes around the table in order and i'm like it does <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? So they're like, no, like it goes around in order, and you and you're either in or you're out. You say a dollar value. If you're out, if it comes back around to you, you can't, you know, you can't come back in. And I'm like, I'm like, that sounds like it's gonna take 12 hours. And the guys, and everyone, guys, it does. We're here all day. I'm like, oh my god. So at first, I was just me and my brother were, were like pulling our hair out because literally it goes around. To a guy and you see the guy take out her magazines are like who are we talking about then and they're reading the profiles as the draft going and they're like oh, i'm like this is ridiculous so but i took it after a while i just took advantage of that and i just completely like in 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 draft was just you know crossing out the guys going for my next thing i was just in the next mode already i took advantage of it but at first, I was like, "This is crazy. This league doesn't play with the West teams. It doesn't. It doesn't like. It doesn't follow an, a normal auction strategy that I've, uh you know, routine that I've been involved with." It was a. It was a very funny league, but um, that's 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 gone with. That's that that's done
1: now. <laughs> I, I'm addicted to caffeine, but I don't think there's enough caffeine in the world that would allow me to sit through that league and that draft.
0: <laughs> they did it by. Uh, it was it was bagels the guy's mother uh and father was cooked um made straight black coffee in the in the percolator and that was that was really that was like crack i mean just having a couple of cups of those things i was like whoa and then they would just do pizza and there was a addition this guy every time he brought the pizza he would come in he knew nothing about fantasy baseball but he and 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 everyone like this guy's gonna give us his keeper and he would come in and be like Ah, uh, the best guy this year is good, and you would say a random name. I'm like, this is weird, but uh, it was a good experience, though. I I wouldn't trade like that's it's just stuff I'll never forget because that's just some wild leagues and some good memories, you know. So, um, I
1: I really think an, a great idea for an article is just intricacies of local leagues and just rules like what you're describing, where they're they're omitting divisions and just with the wildest things people have ever played in or have heard of. <laughs> I think that that would just be so enlightening to just read a long article about that right at least for a nerd like me
0: 100 mm-hmm. oh or, or maybe like even like a cool documentary you know like a 30 for 30 on like random um crazy fantasy league that have obscure rules I, I think i think we're onto something here uh, exactly yeah. i'm gonna write this down on my uh on my whiteboard that gets longer and longer with stuff and never really seems to uh be getting erased with anything <laughs> so when did you um start playing uh the nfbc so i believe my
1: first main event team was when i joined fanball right before they purchased it that had to be 2009 um and then i kind of obviously i couldn't play it for a couple years i was helping run it and then i've kind of been off and on playing it um i think i pretty much went all in probably 2018, 2019 in terms of, you know, lots of DCs, multiple main events. Um, But yeah, I I go a ways back just to, just due to my association with Fanball um, playing it. And then when we were helping run it. That, um,
0: so I, on what I counted on the on the player page, you've had seventeen first place wins. Um, and then from 2019 to 23, like you were saying, like when you started to pick up your volume, um, got 12 draft champions wins. You got a 50 over a 50 percent cash rate. Um, pretty impressive. And then last year, you got seven first place teams, six draft champions first place, included um. You both your four honeys and, um, and OLAC win the online auction. Um, and you also had six seconds, 16 caches last year. That's a pretty fucking good year. If I must say like everything must've just hit, uh, that's, that's really, that's really awesome.
1: It's pretty much, there were two or three guys. I think last year that I was wrong about like Chris sale. But Chris Sale got expensive enough that I wasn't buying him anymore when we got close yeah. to opening day. And, I, you know, there were some things that popped up like that where, like, I was, I've was, i been in on this guy since January and now everybody likes him. So I don't like him anymore. But, you know, some of the guys like Josh Lowe was the big one. I had mm-hmm. Josh Lowe in almost every league. He was, I thought he was basically free for a guy who could, I thought could easily go 2020, which he did. So, I mean, getting a player like that, that late, I mean, your chances of finishing in the top third of the league, I mean, unless you have just a disastrous draft, if you can get a guy that, you know, is basically, what was he, like a second or third round value, if you can get a guy that late and in pretty much every league and be all in, I mean, it. and I, Tanner Bybee was another one I had in like almost all my DCs, just those two guys absolutely killed it for me and i probably owe them money so
0: (laughs) you know what that's so true though like when you get a guy so late and you have a good base like you said you really just can't have such a horrible draft but if you have a solid base and you get a guy that just you know just end up being a third round value from deep in the draft it's, it's so big it's so big especially if you just keep going in on him and and all the drafts and you just mentioned something too i think that's a pretty big phenomenon and something that i i kind of deal with every off season with like you said you you're you're in on a player and then as it comes to march everyone gets you know hot on that player and there goes the prices go up and sometimes i'll follow it you know but sometimes in my brain um it's hard to uh to pick a player at a new ADP when you've had so much of them at a at a previous ADP, you know, like I took I took Who Lee in in like like the first two DCs in October and I got him like past five hundred, you know. And then once he signed and he started getting, I'm like, there's no way I'm taking him here, you know, because I've had this this like great price on him. But I mean, I don't know, like especially if it's a guy I'm really really fond of, but when they're like prices just jump up like last year was kind of um you know Jeffrey Springs and Rasmussen. I think I had Rasmussen on like 80% of my DC, but then came main event in uh in Vegas and it was just like I don't know if I want to pay this. <laughs> <You> mm-hmm. <know? laughs> I
1: remember jeffrey Springs in particular. I'm, I mean his price for the main events relative to what it was in draft champions. Okay. I don't remember exactly what his ADP was but it I mean it wasn't even close to what his dc adp was especially the early dcs i mean he just shot up and i am thankful for that because he was he was one of my targets so yeah you know sometimes you just sometimes you just get lucky like that where you like a guy early and then you just get priced out of the market
0: yeah it, it it does happen in like um and sometimes it's good you know where, where you're like all oh, right glad it didn't happen with that I mean last year in his uh see like January February DC Springs was going um 163 and then in the main events he went 102 so you have the big jump mm-hmm. um and then I remember Detmers uh was which you know he hit like 97 or whatever 98 when I was in Vegas and then he went up hundred picks too, and I was like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> are we doing? <laughs> I
1: was guilty. He was on one of my mains, and I had the opportunity. It was either, you know, I was it was an any, mini, mighty, mo situation. Joe Ryan, Reed Detmers. Reed Detmers' velocity is so up. I just got to take him, and that was probably the difference between finit being cashing in that league and not cashing. I didn't cash. Probably just yeah, that it was, sole it, decision.
0: Reedetmer, how do you feel about Reed Detmers now? <laughs> i love it that he's like i i mean i don't know he's one of those guys where like i just look at him and i'm like he improved in several areas and now he's just 140 picks later than he was at the main event last year you know i don't know it's like and now they actually might you know he might get some double stars this year so it gets you know it's a little more attractive i um, I, I do like him but he's kind of like a professional
1: five inning starter which <laughs> it's a good t-shirt <laughs> i mean it's you know, he's he's good. He's going to get you strikeouts, but his innings are going to be limited no matter what. He's going to be limited on wins, especially. They don't have Otani hitting anymore. I mean, he, I it's, it's one of those things where if you have a player, you don't really know them until you have them on your roster. Great point. He was just so frustrating for me last year, especially with the price I paid. I mean, that was part of it. But, I mean... Every five, or I guess it was six days with the Angels. I'm just like, can you leave him in for the sixth inning? And then they would. Sometimes Nevin would leave him in too long. Yeah, and then he would just get creamed on on his. On, he'd be at 100 pitches, and then he would just get absolutely creamed. And yep. it was one or the other. It seemed like every start, it was just the most frustrating
0: pitcher last year. I like what their new pitching coach had to say about a lot of their pitchers and players in general, he said one of the first things that he saw was how they were um, like really in the, in the upper echelon in whiffs in swing and swinging strikes, but like the conversion to K's wasn't there. So he's like, we got to find the way to make that like execute like that, like execute that better. Um, And then he immediately, I think it was in the athletic, he immediately went through all the pitchers. Um, It was like a, a, in the press conference, you know, he went, he like went through all the pictures and he's like, this is what this guy needs, this is what going to do with him. i was like, Oh man, he's coming in with a plan. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how much to take of those things, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I found myself taking a little too much debt this year. I guess like not counting on him. He's just like my SP six. And he just, you know, um, hopefully he just, just does what he did last year and just a little better. And, uh, hopefully, you know, hope we take a next step forward
1: I'm, I'm, I'm sure i will have some shares i don't yet um i'm probably just calming down here <laughs> i'm gonna get some shares soon probably
0: no no but you made a good point though it's like such a biased thing that we have you've lived through the experience of this player giving you you know bad like indigestion and you don't want that anymore you know and i think that's it's so hard to get through that as we do player evaluations and player ranks and we're on the clock and we got to make a pick because that's those things are so real, you know, um, and and it, and it stays with us and it's hard to just get rid of it. <laughs> Exactly. What's up, everyone? As a food and beer lover, I know all about the struggles of overeating and overdrinking, but I got the game changer for you. It's called Detox Clay. Seriously. It's been my secret weapon for years now, tackling all the gut bacteria and toxins from all that junk that's pumped into our food supply, causing acid reflux, bloating, constipation. Plus, it gets rid of hangovers and detoxifies the liver. This stuff has transformed my life, and now I can enjoy all my favorites without the aftermath. It's as simple as one shot a day, two ounces. Two ounces at night. You pound it down with some water, and that's it. Cheers to Detox Clay, my digestive hero. Go to www.cleansingconceptsworld.com. Use the code Pull Hitter, one word, Pull Hitter, to get 20% off your first order. My friend Vanessa is the owner of the company. She's all about setting your gut up for ultimate success. www.cleansingconceptsworld.com. Use the code Pull Hitter to get 20% off your first order. It'll also be in the show notes to take you right to the website to get you started today. All right, y'all, we're Pitchers and Catchers reporting very shortly. MLB Fantasy Baseball Draft Season is in full swing right now, and you can head on over to Underdog Fantasy and get involved with two best ball formats that I have available right now. The Bunt, which is a $3 entry, 20K in total prizes. The Dinger, which is a 10 buck entry, 750K in total prizes. It's the best ball format. So all you got to do is head on over there, draft your team, and that's it. There's no waivers, no trade, no in-season management. You draft 20 players, you get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup, which is three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex for each week of the regular season. Getting starting is simple. You go to under Dog fantasy.com you sign up with the promo code pull hitter and underdog doubles your initial deposit up to 100 bucks so go check it out right now underdogfantasy.com put in the code pull hitter and get involved with the dinger the bunt and underdog will double your initial deposit of up to 100 bucks so um how how do you go through and create ranks for uh you know with history are you a projection guy using like an xgp or do you have like some kind of skill based ranking that you used so
1: basically i so i used to do my own projections and i figured out over the years that with all the projection systems that are available and that are good it was it was just too much time it was a waste of time so at this point i i agree with steamer nine times out of ten probably so and they're available early in the off season which i like so huge yep yep so i'll basically adjust the playing time in the first round to you know something that you know i think is a lot more conservative in a lot of cases especially for in what i feel are injury prone players um and then from there i'll fudge the numbers a little bit so i'm not going in with you know if somebody is drafting verbatim off steamer i'm not going to have the same rankings as them but i do use those as a baseline um and i and honestly i think that i'm kind of on a heater here in the last three years is probably my best three years and i think using that approach um has been a big reason
0: but well, that's interesting so so you work the first round almost like what you give everyone like equal kind of playing time something like that or
1: no i'll basically so so before that process i'll actually evaluate every player um one by one just take personal mm-hmm. notes um basically going through their baseball savant page their fan graphs page their baseball reference page um and then i'll adjust the playing time in most cases just what if i feel it's mostly cases it's way too high right. um but i'll be you know basically adjusting it down for probably 99 percent of the guys it's just am i adjusting it down 300 plate appearances or 50 plate appearances um and that's basically the first round of my evaluation and then from there you know just if, if i feel like this guy should have five more home runs i'll adjust that um, but that, that's basically like my two round process i'm usually done um, right around cr- Christmas. So I missed the Gladiator this year, unfortunately, because of that. Because I <laughs> will not draft without those projections. I absolutely will not. So I missed the Gladiator for the second straight year. Um, but that's pretty much, I think, my first DC I started drafting on December 26th.
0: Yeah, I think we we got into one that started right before the New Year's, right? I, I, I believe. Um, yeah, you know what? It, it's funny because... I was never um, a projection guy because I didn't really know. I was just like a casual, you know, fan. And when I got more and more into it, my first year in the NFPC, I kind of, you know, looked at them, understand how they used it that much. And then um, as I got more and more into um, all the formats and playing and like, just trying to become more serious as a player, um, I really dove into them. And just to understand them, I think a lot of people just like don't, understand how to use them properly if they want to use them or just know their flaws you know they just assume that um you know you get those tweets where you're like i can't believe steamer has this guy for this this and this and it's like you're not seeing the large picture like you're you're just you're just picking a couple of players that you disagree with and just to show like you think steamer is not smart you know um same thing when like you know um everyone's like well you know they didn't see Striders break out. I'm like, they didn't see the innings pitched. But if you look at the, you know, the K's per nine that year, Steamer was, you know, pretty high on him. I think they were like 11.1. They were obviously looking at him as a reliever, you know, but, um, and if you thought he was going to have more innings and you adjusted that, like you said, you know, adjust that playing time, innings pitch or plate appearances, it would have, you would have seen why he was, you know, possibly valuable. So, um, I don't know, i've I've seen i've seen the benefits of of using them as some sort of baseline because you have to have something. I think right. You just you can't just go into it blind and have these blind expectations of players. Yeah, that I mean,
1: when I first started drafting, you know, twenty over twenty years ago now. I mean, that's what I do. I just go in like I have a Rod first and Tejada second, and just <laughs> you know have yeah, this yeah. list of guys and just get you know have no concept of what a stat is worth and just get absolutely killed. I mean, if anybody in that draft knows what they're doing, I'm, I'm done, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. Such a good point. And a concept of knowing what that stat is worth. I'm, I'm um I went to first pitch Arizona this year for the first time. And Ron Chandler uh, was selling copies of his book. That's going to be out pretty shortly. I think um, for, for all the attendees and, what a fascinating book because I I've I learned so much about the history you know that I thought I knew but I mean I just really learned like man this is this is wild how much I didn't know but when he goes through that whole process of like how they were all trying to get edges in 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 their player ranks and gain like a like a customer base that was loyal every like he said we everyone was doing um, just basically a ranking off of like stats, you know, like it was nothing they didn't know. And then they started to like use like a weighted average, a three-year average. Um, but then, you know, you see that build up, you see how projections came to be. And it's just, pretty fascinating because i i couldn't even imagine now just trying to do that you know uh, whole process like you're saying you just have a rank of this guy first and this guy second
1: <laughs> i mean even just the the stats the baseball savant and fan graphs does absolutely change the game yeah i mean i remember evaluating players i'm looking at an espn stats page which the most advanced thing they had i think was ground ball to fly ball ratio and <laughs> if they had anything better than that. You had no idea how, how hard a guy threw <laughs> unless you watched the games. You had no yeah. idea what he threw. I yep. mean, I, I think there was a there was a guide that Stats Inc. used to put out that had some pretty thorough scouting reports. But I mean, you still didn't have you know good data. And what's available now? I mean, if you're willing to put the time in, and you know you you can able to separate the noise from the actionable data. I mean, there's just so much more available now. And it it's a lot – I will say this. The competition is – there's way – there's a lot more excellent fantasy players. But there's also a lot more capability if you're willing to put the time in to get good at fantasy baseball, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. I think I'm totally right, especially – there's just so much there's so many good articles or um like reading the process by Jeff Jeff and, uh, and Tanner Bell, it's just like just really, really good research, um, and like the 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 abstract and the forecasters, just like so many well thought out ideas, uh about playing time and and, you know, skills, um roster construction, game theory and it's like like you said if you're willing to take those things and read them not think that you're smarter than that like you know like just have an open mind to research because i, I think a lot of people would just be like i know i know what i know and i'm just gonna win that way but even if you read it and you don't agree with it at least you just i don't know i, I just feel like there's tons of stuff out there but like you mentioned too that you have to realize what's what's actionable and i think you learn by just digging in you know Uh, i i that's kind of how i come to be like i go down holes of players that i'm like i can't believe i'm here (laughs) that's what i say to myself sometimes i'm like how did i end up here (laughs) on this guy
1: it's it's a lot of trial and error too and you know you, you 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 develop kind of your own biases like for pitching for me i've always been big on ground ball pitchers and big on elite control because it, I think it raises the floor on the player and for pitching. There's so many disasters that I would rather have a high floor than the highest of ceilings, maybe not for winning an overall, but for winning just a league that for me, just, just having the high floor on the pitching. And then, cause I like to wait on pitching in general. Um, little less than i used to um but still i would rather have those high floor guys so you know over the years you know if you if you read enough from and enough different ideas if you have some trial and errors on the way you evaluate different players and the criteria that you like um it kind of you know creates a road map for you
0: absolutely you're 100 right it's one one thing that i've been really doing the last two years is kind of when the season ends just really dissecting, you know, my teams, um, to the best I can, you know, uh, trying to understand what, what I, what went wrong. Not, not like agonizing over like the actual draft pick. Like, oh, if I would have just took this guy, my league could have been a whole bunch different. It's just, just looking at my basic roster construction. Like, um, all right. So if I did take two starting pitches in the first 10 rounds, like how did this team end up doing? Like, historically have my team been doing better that route or worse you know am i finding myself having to play too much of uh you know the brady singers of the world the guys that i'm just rolling out there because they throw you know um i think like having that data and just looking at it you don't have to get too crazy but just kind of a a quick skim of 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 what's been working for you because um uh steve weimer was just super smart he he had a great article about that in baseball HQ when he was just like saying but before you claim yourself as like the guy who can always find late round starting pitching like figure out if it's really the truth. Or if it's just one year where you found these two guys late and that's what you're hanging your hat on forever, you know, because that can really affect how you think and how you actually draft, but like actually go through your draft and figure out if, are you consistently doing this, or you just did it once and you won a league and that's what makes you think you can always do it. You
1: know? Yeah, I agree with that. The other thing I would say going along with that is that every year's a little different. Some years are very different, right. but some every year is a little bit different. And you have to adjust for that player pool. I would say that, particularly with draft champions, you know, last year there were a lot of middle infielders and catchers that I liked in the, the 30s rounds, the 40s rounds. There is no catching that I like after round 30 this year. And if I'm stuck getting my third catcher after round 30, I'm in big trouble. I mean I'm praying that my top two catchers stay healthy the entire year. <laughs> yeah. But I mean last year I'm getting Martin Maldonado, you know, he's not good, but he's going to play every day, you know, every day for a catcher. But the, I don't feel like there's a guy as of now free agency and trades can still change that. But the player pool and is different every year and you, you just you don't really know and you you have to adjust and you have to prepare for that too.
0: I totally agree. Last year, I had, um, I think on my 13 DCs, I had about eight or nine Ryan Jeffers and a whole bunch of um, Wong, you know? And I just like, I really love those guys' skill set. And this year, it's like, I'm looking at my capture threes and fours. I'm like, I got a whole bunch of Brian McMahon and fucking Tom Murphy. <laughs> it's like, this doesn't seem as exciting as it was last year. <laughs> well, I, I, I hate the
1: catcher player. Everybody's bragging about the catcher player pool this year. I'm like, yeah, you can get two good catchers, but what about your third catcher? I mean, that's where you're in trouble. And then for a DC, I mean, if, if your catcher goes down and eventually he pro- one of the two probably will, I mean, yeah, good yeah, luck. Will.
0: Yeah. Good luck. I know. I know this is, you know, when I've gotten like two, two in the top 200, um, I really haven't been taking a fourth, you know, I'm just like rolling with, because I'm like, do do I want, um, you know, Carson Kelly as a catcher for, or maybe do I want to pick this, you know, upside rookie pitcher or something like something else, you know, um, and I've never had that feeling before. I'm usually like, always was stuck in getting four, four, four. And there's a couple of team, he shared like, I'm, I think I'm just gonna roll with these three.
1: <laughs> Yeah that that's been one of the things too about how slow this off season has been. Like there's all these, you know, fringy regulars. I'm not just talking about catchers, I'm talking about all positions. There's a lot of like fringy regulars that I'm waiting for them to sign and they will probably shoot up ADP. They'll probably move up my draft board, but I'm just it's going so slow. I feel like ADP I started drafting around Christmas and it's just been Almost, you know, the guys exactly. that have signed. But, I mean, here we are. We're getting to, you know, we're a month out from spring training, basically. And there's all these guys. They're sitting out there. I mean, it's just so frustrating for the second half of a D.C. When these guys, I mean, the ADP is not changing. And you're trying to figure out who's going to play. And you're just, a lot of cases, you're just throwing things at the wall. Like, I'm drafting a lot of a role as Chapman's. Figuring he's going to be a closer and his ADP is like 320, 330. I mean, if he closes, I mean, that's that could make my team almost if I'm not, if if I'm not, you know, in on saves and I really haven't been. But I mean, come on, do something like sign the guy. There's like (laughs) 10 teams that could use him as a closer right now. And I still have no idea. I mean, he could, he could sign with the Braves tomorrow and then I'm completely screwed. So, I mean, I'm just, (laughs) If there's so many guys like that out there that are sitting in free agency or that you think are going to be traded. And I mean, it's, it's, it, it kind of sucks, you know, on, on one hand, but then, you know, hopefully you land values there and get lucky.
0: Yeah. I mean, even, even at that draft cost too, like even, even if he just gets eight to 10 as like a secondary role and plus it a hundred strikeouts, like last year, you're probably still like semi happy, obviously you know, you want the full-time role, but it's still usable in some sense. And that's why I think he's going there because I think people realize that even if he's not the star in role, but if he gets some secondary saves with his 100 strikeouts, that's usable, you know? Um, And yeah, there's a lot of... I have, like, Carl Santana on so many teams because usually when I'm going to, like, you know, uh, second, third, first baseman, he's just always there. And I'm like... I don't envision him going to a team where he's gonna not play so much because he's like he's split-proof, being switch hitter. He's hit good from both sides of the plate, and I'm like, he's gotta he's gotta play wherever he goes. Though, but like like you said, I only feel like he's going that late. I'm gonna offer a good season, um you know. And the, there's a lot of guys like that, and that could be such a a spot where you're taking advantage of the market being a little uncertain, but it can also really come to bite you in the ass if you've got too many of those guys, you know? Yeah, one a guy that, that
1: helped me last year in the DCs was Will Smith, the pitcher, not the, the catcher. Because yeah. I was mm-hmm. getting him around, I think it was around round 40 when he was unsigned and he didn't sign with Texas for quite a while. Um, And then that's basically free saves when yep. they installed him as the closer. I have found in DCs in particular, I think that one year when Bud Norris became the surprise <laughs> closer, I drafted him like in the 46th round as a what I thought would be a crappy starting pitcher and he became like you get those guys especially with saves cuz you know obviously DCs you're not able to pick up saves that that's a more often than not if that happens to you that's a difference maker that puts you in the money and 100% it it's it's so much luck i mean that's the thing <laughs> yeah. i mean i DCs are there's a lot of skill but you know, you find a closer just on accident like that, I mean, you might as well buy a lottery ticket. I mean, it <laughs> makes such a difference.
0: I had, uh, like, I love those little heroes in the back of the draft. They really, like, you're so happy when they come through. You had a lot of Jason Foley in around 49-50 last year, you know, and just the just the six, seven save that he got in that stretch where, you know, he was the guy, it, it was like christmas like ah yes this is it this is great when you're around 50 pick at six or seven saves. it's huge you know normally you just want like you know if it's a starter or a batter i had last year uh my last two picks on my best team was uh was foley around 49 and matt walner around 50 and it was just that's you know you can't ask for better like picks at the end like for myself i was so ecstatic that they that they came through you know
1: yeah I actually, I think at the end of the year, I just went through all my draft boards and I went through round 50. And I'm like, how many of these guys were useful of all (laughs) the 15 teams? And how many uh, leagues did I find a useful guy? And it was maybe, I don't know, 10% of them. But it's like, you take so much pride in that round 50 (laughs) pick that wasn't crap. And you actually were able to play, even if you were only able to play him for a week or two. Because those round 50 picks when you look at the end of the year a lot of them you're like I don't even remember who that guy is. <laughs> I mean is does he even a professional anymore?
0: <laughs> you are 100% right. You're absolutely right. I I did the same thing like cuz I was trying to figure out how I wanted to um as I do before I like really do I get into drafts really really quick. Um but th- the biggest thing early on in like october november is i'm just looking at that i'm just looking at like okay how is round 40 to 50 did did this approach and like you said the player pool changes but did this approach work? Like, did did I use a lot of these middle relievers that I was picking a lot of high leverage, you know, skills over roles type guys, and did I use them? You know, and I would just go through my team, like, ah, yeah, I use this guy a lot because my rotation sucked. They didn't use this guy a lot. He was really good, but my rotation was solid. So you just go through all those, like, all right, did I, was the picking eight pitchers out of ten with my last ten picks, was that a good approach rather than maybe trying to pick some better pitchers up at the top and um and now it's just you know, everyone is bumping up uh rookies, you know, prospects to and so then you you know and you have guys that fall into the later rounds, you know you have your Marco gonzalez's and uh you know your your you're like innings eaters that you're gonna need to use, you know, and they're not sexy at all, but um they're trickling down because the prospects are kind of like rising up a little bit, um which is the best thing about these draft champions leagues i think it's 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 my favorite format just because of that, like you're really trying to project so much of the year in these in these fifty picks, you know and it's challenging
1: it, yeah it's twofold for me that i think it is my favorite in FBC format the draft and the different strategies 15 different people can have 15 completely different strategies for a 50 round draft there's that and then there's the in season i i mean i like i i don't have a problem with fab i i actually like fab but i am addicted to to log in on monday and and adjusting my lineup and putting and having useful you know god forbid i don't have useful guys on the bench but i usually have useful guys on the bench and playing matchups and be able to do that on monday and then thursday night for the friday games i don't know what's wrong with me but i
0: find that a lot of fun Hell yeah that's 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 a lot of joy i i, I feel the same way because like you said, on your fab team, you may have, you know, your five starting outfielders and maybe one on the bench, maybe two. So your decision is like kind of, you know, you, you're streaming in for a spot of the week or for each period. But there's some DC teams where that, that took me so long to set one lineup because I'm like, man, I got like seven solid outfielders here. And then you the really, like I'm really diving in. Like who are they facing? What have they been doing? You know, like just, and then, and then it's like, that that lineup change where it should maybe you know be kind of quick you're thinking oh yeah I just pick these lineups uh, and that's what a lot of people tend to think like oh yeah i'll just breathe through these lineups but you know when you have a lot of decent options there's some teams where you're like all right well you know <laughs> nick prado's going in again because there's nobody else <laughs> but there's some there's some weeks where i was you know i had i had one had two teams actually my draft champions where um I just took all my bench stats, you know, from each team um, and just it's one team. I just like, man, like it was like a a quarter of like the 80th percentile for home runs and stolen bases. I'm like, this team was so good. I was so deep that I had all these stats on the bench and then I was agonizing, like, man, I wonder if I could have maximized this a little. Better, but that's just how some teams end up, you know. Like when you log in, and like you said, if you could see that there's no suitcases and you just have all these clean bills of health, you're like, "Oh, this is great." But then some teams just like this is miserable (laughs) to go through.
1: I think one of my first place teams last year. I think, I think I had like at one point I had like twenty two guys on my bench that were either on the IL, or suspended, (laughs) or released. And every week it was just me praying that the 23 guys I, I was starting because I really had no margin for error, just praying that nobody got hurt. And I think I won that league with like a hundred and six, hundred and seven points, not not that many points for a 15 team league. And it's you know, you, you just never know. If you draft enough DCs, you're gonna have teams like that. You're gonna have teams that 40 guys are usable. You it you know, you just it's just how the cards fall
0: sometimes. Absolutely. Um yeah, great. We can they can just go on and on talking about these uh draft champions. They're just they're just awesome. So I, I know I I have a different order here, but let's just keep talking about these draft champions and then we'll kind of just bounce back to a couple of, of the other things I had written down because um we're in the draft champions mode. Um so again, like I mentioned last year, you had six first place DCs, but I was just amazed how like balanced you were through all your teams it was really you know i i i just like i i get all the stats from the uh site and i just kind of put them um every year i just kind of put them in tool spreadsheet and just kind of look at the 80th 90th percentile but then just like how everyone's um you know kind of building their teams and and you're just so balanced to everything. And I was just like shocked because everything on your teams on my spreadsheet was green. And I was like, holy shit, it's just so impressive. But f- um, your, your your 15 teams averaged 103 points. I don't think, I don't know if people realize how hard that is to accomplish. And 13 of your 15 teams collected over 60% of the overall points. Um, But then every single stat, you have like 10 teams over 75th percentile, um, in points, 10 teams over 80th percentile in at-bats, eight teams over 80th percentile in stone bases, 11 teams over 80th percentile in K's. Like everywhere I looked, I'm like, man, he did good there. Because, you, you know, you're always trying to like, all right, well, he, he did good there. Maybe he was weak there, but you were pretty solid across the board. It looked like maybe like home runs was kind of like your weakest spot, but it still wasn't really bad. So like, how do you achieve that balance? Is, are you just tracking your stats or are you just like kind of have a blend of players that get that? that you like to take
1: yeah so i'm basically my process is i have a spreadsheet built that's basically counting up my stats and i'm trying to um hit a hit a number um on all 10 stats the only stat i usually don't hit my number is saves because i am not someone who will ever pay for an elite closer that's just I just don't like to use that high of a draft pick. I would rather just take a very good starting pitcher or hitter. So it's always a bit of a struggle with me on saves, and that's why a guy like Will Smith last year helped me so much in a lot of these leagues. But, yeah, I'm, I'm basically building that team based on the stats. I don't really care about position scarcity. I do care about where the cliffs are, like what we've been talking about. With that third catcher, you know, I want to make sure that I have proper depth at every position, particularly with my hitters. I feel like I can find starting pitchers or innings filler relief pitchers in those, you know, 40 to 50 rounds. Um, But yeah, in particular with, with hitters, I'm basically trying to find a balance across the board.
0: I like that. That's definitely um, it, it's it's something that I think people strive for. You know, people are tracking the 80th percentiles or whatever number they want to try to hit. It's so it's definitely easier said than done because the way the draft comes out sometimes. Um, and I think too people, I found like a lot of people uh, have the tendency to panic pick if they feel like they're too behind in a category you know, and like, I must have this guy, you know, it's like, you don't have to pick a Reese just because you didn't pick steals in your first four rounds. Like you can still trip away and, and pick better players and make it happen over a course of, you know, five or six players. And I feel like a lot of those, that's like probably how I first started drafting and draft champions, where I just made a couple of those mistakes or not, not, not early in draft, but at a point where I could have taken a better player, but I was too focused on um, a stat, you know, like right off the bat.
1: Yeah, I think that happens in particular with closers. You'll see, and more so in live drafts. I actually really like doing the live DCs, even though it's it can be kind of tiring by <laughs> the end with 50 rounds. <laughs> um, I think it's like a 55 second clock. Um, but I really like doing those because I actually, this will sound really cocky, but I like when other people are panicking. And they'll panic on positions. They'll panic on closers a lot where you'll see a closer, you know, pick like 40 picks above ADP because somebody thinks they're just going to run out of closers. I, I mean, if, if you're prepared um, and, and you know what you're doing, it's a huge advantage. Live, live drafting in and of itself, I think, is a skill um yep so i i really like doing those live dcs um i'll I'll jump into one maybe like a couple per month um and i even use one for preparation for the main event even though the adp is completely different the the just the skill of the live draft i mean it's the same i mean you're you're on the clock and you have to think fast i mean it's, it's huge
0: yeah oh that's cool so maybe i'll have to get into one that uh, you do because those express drafts are definitely, definitely a lot of fun. I mean, when I first got into the NFBC, um, I remember it too being a lot slower. I did a couple last year with, you know, um, I guess some of my friends and some some people that definitely play a lot of DCs, and the back end picks were flying, you know. And I was like, wow, it's like you said. Um, I don't think it's an arrogant thing to say because I think you're you you're trusting yourself and that you are prepared and that you're ready to make your 42nd round pick you know like you have targets and you just hope that some people um aren't ready you know that's just I think that's natural but like last year when I did it I think the first one that we did it was like over like almost in three hours, almost under three hours. And I was like, Whoa, and the, the, the whole 4040 40 round to 50th round flew like everyone was making a picks snap. And I'm like, man, everyone's prepared these days, you know, it's like the, it changed uh, from when I first I you know, not a long time ago, but like 2020. Um, it just seemed like the pace was so different.
1: Yeah, going going along with that on generally around 40 to 50. I'm taking I mean, I don't count, but I'm probably taking seven, eight pitchers. So I almost always have all those picks autoed in my queue, both in slow drafts and um, in the live drafts. Um, You know, I can can just rank five pitchers. I mean, it's what it is. You have Mm -hmm. the five pitchers. If you don't get the top one, if someone in front of you takes them, it's fine. I'll take the next pitcher. You know, at that point, I mean, I don't want to say this, but they're basically all the same. I mean, at that point. Yeah. So, it is, yep. you know, it is what it is if you lose out on that one. You know, there there's there's exceptions. There's a couple of guys I'm kind of obsessed with in those, you know, 40 to 50, but <laughs> basically I'll, I'll go on auto basically every single time for those DCs on the on those late picks.
0: Yeah, I saw that cuz we were you were on the wheel and um I just remember looking, I'm like, yeah, hey, he's on auto again. He's just going to snap up through guys. I got to get better with that um, at some points. Cause like you said, I'll, I'll put guys in a queue, but there's something in my brain is like, I have to know this guy takes before me. And then I have to know what I'm going to do after that. Yeah. You know, I don't know why it's so stupid. It doesn't mean anything, but like my brain works that way. <laughs> well, that,
1: that that's definitely understandable. I mean, there's there there's not enough money in the world for me to in the first twenty rounds to to go on auto. There, I absolutely would not do that. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: later, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I prefer it. Um, so you're doing some volume drafting. You got a lot of teams. How how are you with diversifying? Are you someone who tries to, um, or maybe tries to uh, like more up to the top, or you know, then it doesn't matter at the bottom. Um. I diversify
1: a little bit my starting lineup you know the first 20 to 25 rounds um i can think of examples that were like i took aaron nola two drafts in a row and i'm staying off him you know for the next several drafts <laughs> sometimes that's sometimes that's natural too that's just like you know i got first pick in this draft and i got 13th pick in this other draft and you just don't have the opportunities take those guys so kind of diversification organically Um, for the second half of the draft I really don't care as much about diversifying there's you know just guys that I'm in on and that in some cases I quote-unquote have to have you know Tanner Bybee was one for me last year Where I'm like I absolutely have to have him and I know I had them for more than half of the DCS that I, that I was in, so I'm not, you know. At, I I think if you have consistency in DCS more often than not, it's because those late round picks. And if I'm having the, if I'm hitting on the same late late round guys in every draft, then you know obviously not diversifying played to my advantage. Of course, I could have a bad year this year where, you know, I don't hit on any of the guys that I really like in that second half of the draft, but. You know, I think that w- that really led to my success last year where i that you know not diversifying for those late round picks is is really you know what led to my consistency.
0: I like that, yeah, I think that's kind of something that um that's useful um you know, trying to shake it up at the top, you don't have to be so so rigid um with with I need this guy you know, it's kind of letting it fall to you two and I like you said, too, you do a couple of drafts where you, you you just land on a player multiple times and you're like, all right, <laughs> the next draft I'm doing I can't go back to this guy uh no matter what out of the cost but I like what you said there were uh di- diversification organically I mean that's um organic diversification I think that's gonna be a thing i'm I'm you should brand that that's that, that, I'm that's, thinking about it that's that that I mean that's really good uh if I make a sound clip of this podcast I'm putting that out specifically um just, just to make people hear that line that was that was. I
1: just wrote it down <laughs> I think that's the best thing I've said all day no other good ideas other than that
0: that is awesome, man. Oh, I love that. I love to, I'm telling you, the best things in the podcast is always what comes in between. Um, It's just, it's just great. Um, So what about your batter pitcher splits? You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, 27, 23, 26, 24. What do you normally fall in line with how many pitches and batters you're taking? I don't have
1: a hard line. I'm usually 26, 24, 25, 25. Um, I'm doing a dc right now where I took my third pitcher, I think in round third 12 or thirteen, wow. which is really late, so I might go a little heavier on that one um, but in general, I mean it's 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 a loose number. I mean, a lot of times you'll just have that guy that that falls in like the round, Thirty to 35 that you have to have and maybe that'll throw off your split a little bit but yeah i'm in that 26 24 25 25 split i could definitely be convinced by somebody that I'm doing it wrong but <laughs> that's just what's worked for me to this yeah kid.
0: no no you, you got to find what you're working and i think you just nailed it though what the most important part is 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 understanding what the top half of the draft does for you like could like you meant you know, like I've I've Done a draft where, um, you know, like I have Grayson Rodriguez, my third starting pitcher, um, with not pocket aces, but I think it was like a Strider, a Kirby. Um, and so that back end, I'm okay with making that team maybe 22, 23 starting pitch uh, pitchers total because I feel better with the top half of it, you know, like not having to go to so many and, um, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you kind of waited a little bit on pitching and maybe you look across the roster grid and like you feel that you're seven through 10 starting pitchers is way better than anyone else's. And you're like, okay, you know, and I think that's kind of something I've been doing a little bit more this year, like looking at the roster grid and just making sure I'm not too far behind the pace of everybody else in pitching or like one particular because uh sometimes you just get into a groove of taking just going down that yellow brick road and i'm like oh uh i gotta pump the brakes here i got like 19 pitchers, and everyone else is <laughs> it has 13.
1: it's sometimes that's good time sometimes it's good to do the opposite of what yeah. everybody else is doing and i was looking at your you know the dc that that we were in and you, I think you were a little bit heavier on pitching where I think there was only like one other team that was heavy on pitching. And sometimes, I mean, you never know how the year's really going to play out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it could be... I think it was a couple years where basically, you know, all the people that were very successful in in the tournaments were taking pitching early. I mean, you don't know if that's going to be the case this year very well could be and you know if you play enough leagues and you do some diversification in terms of your strategies i mean that could be the league that you know gets you wins you the overall i mean you're doing something different than everybody else sometimes that's a good thing
0: right yep 100 um so do you have um i know you mentioned like your back your back hair picks are going to be Mostly pitchers, um I'm kind of the same way in in most of my drafts where I'm just backfilling you know any useful arms or middle relievers but do is there any point of the draft where like you are like i right, I'm looking at these players here and it kind of dictates who you take up at the top of the draft is that have like any influence in you or no
1: yeah, um or so maybe me-
0: also like fab leagues more so
1: well, I mean, I think there's breaks in my rankings and what i what i mean by that is i've heard some other people say this too i really like a lot of these starting pitchers in like that 150 to 280p right now oh yeah where you know i know i'm going to be taking at least two of those guys right so i'm actually planning around that part of the draft um and building the team kind of around that area. Yep. Um, I mean, there's probably, I'm not looking at the ADP list now, but there's at least five guys in that area that I absolutely love. And if I can get two, at least two, I feel like my pitching staff, even somebody else might not think it's very good. But when I look at it with you know my biases and who I like this year, I think is very good. And if I can get a couple of those guys, and kind of build the draft around when I know I'm taking those quote unquote sleepers. I mean, that that basically plans the, the draft for me in a lot of ways in those first, you know, 10 to 15 rounds.
0: I I absolutely agree with you. Um and it's the same strategy for me too. I know that I can go in that spot. And in in our draft, I didn't going out of here because I ended up getting Sonny Gray as my SP4 kind of later than he usually goes. So I was like, and then I needed to catch up on offense. So I didn't hit that area as as much as I used to. But um, I mean, a guy that you took uh, in our draft, in that range is my second most owned pitcher right now. I got him on 10 teams um, on the Astros, Mr. Hunter Brown. And uh, he's just one of those guys that just completely, love in that range is like Pavetta there's Bryce Miller um so many pitchers that are just really useful in that area and they can be your sp3 four um and it's 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 a good range to go to so that's that kind of the area yeah I think it's kind of it's funny too because a lot of people are saying that so as we get warmer and warmer and closer to the season you know those guys are going to kind of rise and then those those, those DCs that we do in February, March are going to be so different than what we've been doing. And like, you see, like we were saying earlier, now we have to follow the, uh, the hot trail, like, do we go with what is changing? Or do we kind of change our strategy? You know? Yeah, I should,
1: I, I hope I wish you did not mention Hunter Brown, I don't want his ADP rising. <laughs> um, there's a few other guys I'm hoping you will not mention that I drafted um so that would be helpful for me to going forward i think i've already changed the adp on chris paddock um i think i've raised it single-handedly about 20 spots because i'm he's kind of the quote-unquote rider die for me this year he's kind of a guy i've been obsessed with forever um and the way he looked pitching those couple relief innings last year i'm just like Man, if this guy just throws like one hundred and eighty innings, which he's not going to do, but if, and theoretically, if he did, maybe this guy wins the Cy Young and he's going at like 320, 330. thirty. There is always a guy like that for me, where I am like, this is a half to have, you know. And I am, I am just hoping the ADP does not get pushed up.
0: He 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 seems to be a guy that um, definitely um, has that kind of helium, just like you said, based off of off of those off of what he showed and off of also like the previous what we thought of him and what we wanted him to be right and i feel like a lot of that is built into it too it's like this is the guy we've been waiting for is it finally this this chris paddock you know and i really something to be said too about the twins pitchers and themselves you know they just last year they were just you know they to I this like Ryan had its flaws at that moment, but they they just like really power power arms and k's and um varland had spots where he looked like that too, so um Paddock is definitely a guy that um it there always seems to be a person in the draft that just wants to pick him a lot higher you know than I want to, but at, at that point too, too you can't really just wait, you know you just gotta pick your guy like can't play that adp chicken game if you really like him and you know you shouldn't be as worried to just go 30 picks ahead um and get him you know um but I, yeah paddock is another one that i think by in spring training if he just looks amazing i think we're gonna see that just naturally happen um organic organic rise we're gonna keep on the Mechanically
1: yeah, hopefully, they just keep him throwing one inning at a time. <laughs> and then after I've drafted all of my teams, then he throws five <laughs> shutout innings in his final spring training start that would just be beautiful
0: that would be beautiful absolutely so how how are you approaching rookies because a lot of uh the drafters you know are really interested in finding that next Bryce miller that next andrew abbott in round 40 or the next you know the prospects are now rising there's no more um you know getting that number four prospect in baseball uh, and i pick 400 now you're you, know, you got to pay up to get them, but more so, you know, like either at the top or in the back half of the draft Like talk about both of them. But you know, what's your approach to drafting the young studs of the game? Usually, I'm
1: really conservative with young players, especially in the the top half of the draft. I think the one exception there for me this year has been Evan Carter. I think kind of a requirement for me. Um, for a quote unquote rookie. and I know Evan Carter kind of set the world on fire for the last half of September in the playoffs. so he's kind of a, a different animal here, is I, I want them to have a higher floor. and it's really difficult to have a higher to have a high floor as a rookie unless you have speed, which Evan Carter does and Jordan Lawler does, that's another guy that I've been getting later. Mm -hmm. or really really good control i won't you know the you know dl hall was a guy who was a quote-unquote top prospect with just horrendous control and he those types of players i don't the floor is just so low and in a dc i just feel like i can't take that risk right so i mean it is it's still a guessing game i mean i got burned on some rookies last year um but generally, you know, they have to have what I consider, you know, it's very subjective, but a high floor for a guy that's breaking in. Um, and generally I won't overpay for them. Um, I think I set the ADP high of like 300 on Jackson holiday. I Ooh. think his actual ADP is like 220, 230. Like there's no way I would go to 230 on him. You know, there, you know, for a good enough prospect, there's a there's a price that I'm willing to pay. Um, but generally, it's it's just if you can get guaranteed at bats and guaranteed product production in these DCs, and plus there's so many good prospects that fall. Um, right. so you know, all these Orioles guys, the Orioles have so many good prospects; <laughs> they're all falling, other than Holiday. And I mean, like Heston Kerstedt, like that's when he was a number two overall pick and he's really falling. I mean, he, if he gets playing time, I mean, he looked really good when he played last year and he's falling. Um, Part of that is is the position eligibility, but still there's guys like that, that for whatever reason are just falling. And they're probably just as good a prospect as the guy that's going in the 20th round. I mean, there's definitely discounts you can get for those. I'm fine paying you know between round 40 and round 50 for those guys um that's fine with me
0: yeah i gotta stop taking joey ortiz just hoping he gets traded (laughs) 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 it's like come on free him up um but yeah i i actually um doing my champions league qualifier right now for my draft champions um because um i'm gonna start turning my eye toward you know auction leagues online championship doing my main event prep and content geared toward that too so i'm like right now i'm only draft champions i'm done with my gladiators so i'm like it's the perfect time to do it i'm just dedicated to it and i got tested in this draft so bad because um again like part of my brain was like you know trying to play it as safe as i can but not too safe you know i don't want to be like too rigid but a heightened sense of scrutiny on each one of my picks more than usual, because I felt that extra pressure for this, uh, champions league qualifier. But, um, so I'm drafting and, um, it comes, it comes up to me in, uh, pick, Two uh 295 i'm at the wheel too that's another thing i i get my kds i go straight butter one through 15 and i got 15 for the qualifier i'm like god damn it it's terrible uh but it didn't work out that bad but i'm at pick 295 and um i'm debating between like Jeff McNeil and a couple other guys and junior carbon is still there and i'm like tantalized by his skill set and i'm like no nah, i can't do this i'm just gonna go to safe route right and i'm like it's okay I'm not gonna get him here, it's fine, you know, I need, and I, at that point too, I had, um, I started off the draft with J-Ram, um, and I had, uh, who was my other guy? I had one other corner, oh, I had Paredes and Harper. I started off Har- Harper, J-Ram, and I got Isaac Paredes. So I'm like, I have the corners set up, but then I'm like, man, this bat looks really good. Um, could be a nice bat. And so he, he comes back around when, when I pick the next round. I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, this guy's ADP is 211 and it's 315, you know? And his max is, is 262, you know? So I'm like, and it's 315. I'm like, I'm taking him, you know, taking him. So then I get tested again. Um, <laughs> like, and, and this is the combination of many things. I had Tovar uh, as shortstop, And I wanted to get, um, I wanted to quickly get into like a backup with either Pena or Neto or JP Crawford. And they all went like before I had the chance to pick again. So um, Jordan Lawler is is sitting there. So I got the max on Caminero. At 315 and i set the max on jordan lawler at 375 his max was 345 prior so i got this champions league where i'm trying to play it safe seth and i'm like oh well i got two two rookies on this team but i just couldn't pass it up there and i didn't want to like have it in season where i'm like man this team could have really used these guys you know and i just um i don't know what happened it was like i was just in this draft where no one wanted to take the rookies
1: I, I've definitely noticed that early D season, I think past years too. And I don't know why that's the case. I mean, that, like I was saying with holiday, the same thing happened. Cameron arrow is another guy that I didn't think I was in on this year and he's been dropping there. I think I at least have two shares already. He's a guy that's just randomly been dropping. I think some of that is maybe the roster uncertainty, right. you know, for some of these teams, I mean, Tampa Bay, everyone figures they're going to make a trade, another trade. They, you know but they got two months plus to do that so there's just a lot of situations like that with young with young players and I also think a lot you know one of the things that happened with my dcs last year i was getting francisco Alvarez mm. i want to say it was around round 25 and i had a lot of shares there and people were scared off because they didn't think that he would be on the opening day roster which he wasn't but, I mean, five months of him was terrific. Yep. I mean, I mean, not for batting average, obviously, but for the that price. I mean, I think in a lot of times in, in DC's, people don't look at it like a marathon when they should. It's very much a marathon. Right. Maybe even so more so than a regular you know fab league. It you know if a guy's if you know a guy's gonna be up you know by early mid May. You know it's fine take them playing around that it 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 works out a lot of times
0: 100 and with camonero i was just like um you know Yandi had a lot of dh time last year brandon low was always hurt Lau was always hurt and i'm like right now they peg for like palacios and harold Ramirez at dh I'm like junior camonero was playing but then i just even took like i started messing around with plate appearances, right? And I'm just like, all right, what if I get like 350 plate appearances? Or, you know, what if I get 400 plus, plus replacement level? Like I said, plus the sub I'm gonna put in for him in the meantime. Um, and like, as I was doing that math, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, this pick is worth it, you know? <laughs> he's worth it right here. So I've warmed up to it too as he's fallen in a couple of my drafts. Um, and I think it's funny. I think like the October, November drafts, I think people are way more aggressive, but then as the as the draft start filling out, I think in December, January, you get the flood of like, maybe the people doing their first draft of the year or the second time. They're not like, uh, they're, they don't know what they're doing, but they're they may They may be just playing it a little bit more safe, you know, like in terms of, you know, or maybe it's just going to be, they're not mass drafting. So they're just playing, uh, you know, more of the safe route. But I was just like, all right, well, like, just ended up actually taking two guys that was just like in my mind. I wanted to just take the veterans on this team, just go more safe and boring is beautiful. And then it just ended up like I got tested every round that came around. But um, I'm I'm happy about it. I mean, I think I think those guys are gonna serve some purpose over the course of the season. Like you said, it's 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 a straight uh, marathon. You know, um, it's just there's so many. Uh, ways that you're going to need depth so as long as you're hitting you know other parts of your draft that can fill in for those team uh you know the rookies that you're taking um but um what about kds do you mess with that at all you kind of uh playing with that early in the season
1: yeah it's basically based on my rankings i have there's a few guys that i have a lot higher than everybody else well not everybody else but I really like Juan Soto and I think his ADP, I think it's still around twelve or thirteen. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically doing like a one through five and then probably jumping to nine through fifteen, figuring that I can still get Soto at that nine. Um I did get the six pick in a recent DC and just went ahead and took Soto, which you know I'm basically wasting value if if he's almost certainly gonna fall. Um, so yeah, it's basically just playing around my rankings for that year, and it's different every year. And I'm I'm also having this dream where one day I'm gonna get the second pick, and then the f- one with the first pick is not gonna take around a lacuna and he's gonna <laughs> fall to me. That would just be amazing.
0: Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, uh it's, it's not gonna happen. I mean but it might, <laughs>
1: it just takes one.
0: Someone, someone might really try to be really brave and, 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 make that assumption. You know, I know that, um, you know, Ron Chandler does that excellent job of like going through what's wrong with every first round player. And he's always hammering out, like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not automatic that the, that the number one picks always returns first value, but if you feel safe with Acuna right now that he's gonna be, you know, um, He's foolproof. Um, but it's definitely interesting what happened after that, you know. Um, there's so many guys that are like very worthy of the next couple of picks. And like you mentioned, um, you know, with Soto being around ADP twelve since uh know, this last like twelve ADPs of draft champions, but just that back half of the first rounds you know it's just it's juicy you got soto judge turner otani <laughs> Ram, harper you know those are really solid vets like the like the young bucks kind of took over the top half of the draft and then you got spencer strider just hanging in there it's like you know if anyone wants to dive like just pivot away from that um and then you got t- tatis at eight just hanging out who could be who could have an acuna type season you know uh, and i think he. I think I, I think he was working through his injuries. He still had a very good season, despite, like, a lot of the power metrics came down a lot, but he's too good to be, this, like, counted out as, as it never coming back to those glorious seasons. You know, I don't know how much the juice or anything else played a, a hand in that, but um, it's that backhand for the draft is really definitely um, – because in the middle, then you have to make all the decisions. Like you said, you you had to make the decision to take Soto when you said, oh, man, I could have waited a couple of picks then and got more value for him. So I'm kind of the same way. I'd rather make the decisions up top and then make the, decisions in the back these this team i'm picking from 15 with the first one that i've had from 15 I, at first i was like oh it's gonna be miserable but i kind of like what's you know like i said you i got j ram and harper <laughs> to start the draft and I, i'm all like oh this, this it's not that bad back here
1: <laughs> and a lot of times you'll get lucky your guy will fall and you know that's your guide you know it's you know obviously i'd rather be you know in the top few picks but it's, it's not the end of the world. If you're, a lot of times you get really lucky, guys fall, happens in every draft, and hopefully those guys falling are falling in round one and those are the guys that you want.
0: Yep, yep, without a doubt. So let's look at the draft real quick that we did. We did a 400 um, DC, before that, do you find any differences in the 400s to 150s? I find some notable difference in like certain type of like player types like the difference in adps um and it tends to be like a little more aggressive i think with specific builds in terms of like going for starting pitchers and maybe trying to get their um relievers earlier i don't know if you've noticed anything in your form just so years previous to this
1: the only difference that i'd have ever noticed was you know once in a while in the 150s you'll get somebody with just like a very I'm being polite a very unorthodox strategy
0: Mm.
1: where they're doing something that maybe you've never seen before such as taking eight pitchers in the first eight rounds or something like that you rarely see that in a 400 I mean once in a while you might see it but it's pretty rare or you'll see somebody uh, take a guy that's a 280p at like 120th pick that doesn't happen as much in these four hundreds, um, you know. There's sh- there's sharp people in every draft, right? Hundred percent, yeah. Um, but yeah, you won't generally you won't, and I and I I don't do as many four hundreds. There aren't as many four hundreds available. I know, but but yeah, generally you there's not going to be just a lot of this complete surprises in the four hundreds like you'll see in a typical one fifty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like right now I've only like, uh, I've done four of the four honeys and, um, the biggest difference is, um, it just seems to be with that like starting pitcher in the round three, like some of the biggest deltas have been between Pablo Lopez, George Kirby, um, Luis Castillo. It just seems to be like, Maybe the starting pitching at, up at the top kind of gets a little bit more prioritized. Um, like, so like Pablo Lopez is ADP um and all draft champions since December first is like forty three. In, in the four four hundreds I did, it's th- it's thirty three. So it's ten picks. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it's it it's a lot when it's up at the top of the draft, you know? Um mm-hmm. and then conversely the the players that it's affecting on the flip end is like Lindor and Gunnar. Um, so like basically some of the starting pitch and getting pushed up there and then those guys and like CJ Abrams kind of come back and around like they, they're they kind of being waited on a little longer. Um, so that's the only thing I found like so far uh, this year, but it's definitely an interesting concept to it. So you picked from the 15 spot in our draft. I was in the middle. Um, and like you mentioned, you you know, you really... That's the first thing I noticed too, like you kind of waited on your your relief pitching and um, you know, didn't get in your third third SP in round twelve. Um but in general, how'd you feel about your build in this draft? And this was your second one that you did?
1: Yeah, I think this was yeah, this is my second D C this year, yes. Mhm.
0: Nice. So do you I see you did like a nice double tap with the catcher. And we we mentioned that before as something that you kind of uh nervous about the back half so like is that something that you're doing a lot
1: some yet well not back to back I think that's the only example of a team I did back to back but I am trying to fill my catchers um, with two reliable guys yeah um I Travis Darno is my third catcher I'm looking there which is I think around twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. That's generally the area where I'm taking the third catcher. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm generally pretty early on getting filling the two catcher spots. The one exception there is I really like Alejandro Kirk's ADP. So I'm willing to, you know, if I if I miss out, I think his ADP now is like 260, 270. Um, so I'm willing to use him as a second catcher. But for the most part, I'm filling those two catchers pretty early, um, and this draft is gen- my general, you know, the way that I'm taking starting pitching. There are a couple drafts where I've taken it earlier. I've not. I'm not going to have any Spencer Strider shares. I'm not going to have any Garrett Cole shares. I'm I'm taking hitters <laughs> no matter what in the first round, mm-hmm. and more often than not, I'm taking a hitter in the second round, um, which is what I did. Um, in, this draft, with, in this draft with Jordan Alvarez and Austin Riley. um, The other thing that was really I'm not crazy about in this draft is I lacked speed as a result of those first two picks. So I had Josh Lowe way above ADP in the fifth round, Nico Horner, who I'm not crazy about, but I needed the speed. It was kind of you know, he's a quality player, but his ceiling is not great. Yep. So it's one of those situations where, you know, you're building stats and steals are easy to fall behind. Um, so I just had to stretch a little bit for those guys. Um, but in general, you know, the, the way that this draft went in terms of going hitting heavy early, waiting for a closer. Tanner Scott was my first closer. Um, that's generally the strategy that I'm using in DCs, at least at this point when everybody's on a roster, hopefully in two months from now, my strategy could be a little bit different, but this is what I'm going with right now.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I've tried to get comfortable with, uh, waiting And again, every draft is different, and I'm doing a bunch, so like I don't mind having some drafts that are just completely different builds than what I'm comfortable with. And I also feel like um, there's—I don't know why—but I get this like crazy good feeling about making myself feel uncomfortable in drafts. It's like forcing myself to do something different, and then maybe because I don't know, I get tunnel visioned in drafting. You know, like oh, I love this guy here, I like this guy here, and I'm, you know. So sometimes when you have to force yourself to do a different build by by waiting on a reliever, or maybe it just didn't fall right, and you didn't like guys a certain spot, it just gets your brain outside of this normal way of thinking, and and and, and kind of you know, it, it. I learned from it, you know, and sometimes I've just recently found, like you said. um, about feeling comfortable with, like, a Kirk as your catcher two. Um At first, I just wanted all these guys um, earlier, you know, and then I wasn't opening up to that thought of maybe having uh, some comfortability in a Shea Langoliers or a Kirk, right, as your catcher two. But um, I did one draft where I got, I think um, it was a Wilson Contreras, and then I just waited um and everyone just like bumped catchers up and i was like okay i'm i guess i'm i guess i am going this route and it didn't feel that bad because i think i um i think i got Darno and then i even got pinto fell in the draft and i like just wrapped up like this draft was different. I wrapped up four catchers, and it was done by round 35. And I was like, oh, this this wasn't that bad, you know? Um, so it could happen. It just happened uh, organically. <laughs> organic organic drafting. Um, but I think that's the fun thing about all these drafts, too. You just find yourself in spots where you can really learn more about the player pool just by it being forced upon you, you know? Um, Definitely. Yeah, 100%. Um, did you notice anyone who have like a odd or like, a like an interesting approach in this draft?
1: So I'm not trying to, you know, suck up to you, but I thought that your team was interesting and frustrating for me. Some of my targets you hit, um, some of the guys that I really like. Um, but like I was saying earlier, you kind of went heavy on pitching. Four of your first six picks were pitchers. Um, there weren't a lot of heavy pitching builds in this draft. So I, I, you know, like I was saying earlier, you're doing something different than everybody else, and I think that could really work to your advantage here. Um, and then going through your team, I have a lot of Ezekiel Tovar shares, and I believe that I was going to take him in that round. Um, looking later here through your draft. Matt Wallner was another guy. Britton Doyle. Um, Tyler Kinley's another guy who finished the year as the Colorado's closer. They're going to be horrible again, but <laughs> very well could be their closer in post round 35. I mean, that's Oh, I, <laughs> I, yeah.
0: I wanted eight or ten. Just give me a stretch where you're the guy. And if you lose it, that's fine. Like I just use it in that time. Uh, and that's what I have learned about draft champion too. Like you, you have those moments, you have those stretches where um, these guys come into a close role. And even if you have three closers or two closers, like when they gain the job you put them in there it doesn't matter how many you have like you got to accumulate those saves while they while they're there you know you can't just like oh no like uh i have the starter like just get the saves and don't worry about it like fill that out
1: and then i mean hopefully they're coming in streaks where you're we're actually using the guy i can remember i had <laughs> a lot of trevor may uh shares last year and his saves would come in streaks and then oakland wouldn't win a game for two weeks and you would be starting him and basically getting zeros and sometimes it's just luck you know i started him this particular week he did well now i'm gonna bench him hopefully he does nothing (laughs) when he's on my bench
0: yeah that's the thing you got to capture all the stats that's the one fun thing about the gladiators is that you don't have to worry about that you know it just gets captured but um it's tough because there's so many like platoon bats like that too like some that you look at, like the overall stat line oh this guy had a good year but he may have been just frustrating to start on a week-to-week basis like Jax jacks owinski was like that on so many weeks for me that i just learned i'm like you know what even if he even if he might just play uh you know a game and a half on friday to sunday every time i sat him and situations you know it made sense don't you know go go volume and then he would smack two homers i'm like shit you know you just don't it's tough to capture everything all the time but yeah i mean i i kind of in this draft like like, i really like joe ryan in that range um and starting off like strider kirby it was like i felt like i had this really like interesting one-two punch and um yeah, just like just to be comfortable with K's at some point of the draft, and then just have those stretches, you know, uh, between like round ten and round seventeen, where I only took one pitcher, you know, cause I was able to take Strand, Paredes, Noel v. Marte, Tovar, Henry Davis, Neto, Caminero, Fam. You know, just like I like those builds too, where you could where I can feel comfortable with my early pitching, and then just slam hitting, um, in the middle. Um, and it doesn't always have to be by design. I think those things just pop up for me, you know, like, okay, I think I'm just going to go this way and and just, I don't know. I felt lucky with getting like a seven, eight, Brian Reynolds, Lane Thomas. I probably wouldn't have felt as strong about the offense with those guys not landing to me uh, in those rounds. But, um, I don't know. Here's what I love about these DCs, man. You could just go so many different ways and, uh, and just, and just see what you like you know it it helps you so much for the the main event seasons you know
1: exactly yep
0: yeah absolutely so um so what so is this your favorite format in nfpc draft champions
1: uh yeah without a yeah. doubt yeah i love right. it
0: yeah um you you play in a in a super right uh the nfp super league yes so i did a
1: i did a 2500 super for the first time last year and i'm gonna i think i finished tied for second which came down to the last day and i believe i would have finished first if they counted that kyle tucker home run on the final day that i'm still bitter about
0: yeah yeah
1: but i'm not going to complain about finishing tied for second oh
0: man you know what two so two years ago i um I came in in third in a main event um, and you know, the NFC, the one great thing about the NFC, they pay you like three days after the season ends, you get your money. Uh, it's such a great aspect of that. It's instantly come to you. Um, the day after we got paid, um, there was a scoring change. O'Neill Cruz had a stone base taken away, right? And I'm like, man, this sounds like it would have affected me. And the only thing, the only reason I remembered was because, um, and I remember it was the uh, Bradley Libros, great player. He was in my league and I was battling him for second place the whole, like the last five, six weeks of the season and not just for like points, but literally every category that, like, we were close to each other. I was battling him. It wasn't like, oh, I can gain two runs on this player. It was always him. It was stolen bases. It was K's. It was home runs. I was battling him for second place, and then it was also all the same stats. And I'm like, I think he had O'Neill Cruz stolen base, right? So I go and I look at the team. He had O'Neill Cruz. You take away the stolen base. There was a, there was a, there was like a, three-way tie for stolen bases all at 124 right i still remember the fucking number uh, <laughs> and and you take it away and, not, and 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 he lost a point and a half and i would have gotten second place you know and i was like motherfucker this is so mad <laughs> and i actually dm'd him on twitter and it's like oh man he goes that's terrible you know he's like I feel so horrible. I thought, no, it's not your fault. And at first, I was heated. I'm like, "Why do they have to pay us so quickly?" <laughs> you know, it's just what. It's just it. It you know, it is what it is. It's, it's that's why the scoring change. Now, whenever there's a scoring change, I lose my mind. I'm like, I don't want to hear about no scoring changes. <laughs> and like, that,
1: that's that's also a lesson when you're setting your lineups and you're doing your Fab in April and
0: May. Every single stat counts. Amen. Hundred percent is there anything different when you're playing in those standalone that don't have overalls? Like do you, do you have any different approach? I know a lot of people, you know, do like a semi punt or like a punt on a category, but do you change anything in your draft? No.
1: um, Other than in season, I'm more willing to punt a category earlier um, in the, in the, the standalone satellite supers. Um, Obviously I'm just solely trying to win that league. Um, so if it's going to help me, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, if it's April 30th and the saves picture is not looking good and I don't want to waste all my fab on speculative saves, mm. I'll just go ahead and, and punt it. I, fortunately, right. I didn't have that issue this past year, but I can think of numerous leagues in the past where I've just gone ahead and been willing to punt it. Whereas, you know, for an overall overall. I'll be willing to wait. You know, I'm not going to wait forever, but I'll probably wait another month before I would punt something um, in a in a main event.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Just like really understanding your team and what's available on the, the waiver wire. Like last year, because there was so little turnover in in relief pitching. You know, some of the some of my teams are like, "All right, well, I can't keep waiting for the and." and speculating every freaking week on the the Jason Foley's of the world, waiting for a couple extra saves. You know, at some point you just gotta like change it up and just shift your gear to to something else. And that's what's really important about paying attention to your team in general. Um, How do you handle like transitioning from 12 team leagues to 15 team leagues? I know like a lot of people will like ask me like, you know, how do the player ranks change? And like, what, you know, like what changes in my approach? What do you find like the, the biggest hurdle in, in, in playing in those two different sized leagues?
1: So I'm not a big 12 team guy. The reason that I'm not is I like to be patient with players. And if you're patient in a 12, if you're patient with a guy and he never picks it up, yep. you're done. Done. And it's just, it's just so taxing for me to have that mindset. And <laughs> yeah, well, it just absolutely kills me. But in general, I'll, I'm willing to take more risk. Like, I, I think my old, only Jordan Walker drafting share last year was in an online championship in a 12, where in a 15 you know, I, he was not worth the risk for me. There's a lot of guys like that guys that are maybe more injury prone that I try to stay away from in a 15 that in a 12, whatever. I mean, the free, the, the waiver wire is loaded with guys all year long that you can find in a 12 that will not, will either not be available in a 15 or it'll be so freaking expensive that you yeah. know, you're, you're probably not going to get him unless that's really the guy you're planning around getting for the whole year and spending 200 to 300 or even more than that. So yeah, just mainly the risk tolerance when it comes to the draft.
0: I, I totally, uh, are in sync with you there. Um, the first year I played the online championships, um, you know, no, nah, I like this guy you know, I'm going to give him some time. And I'm just like looking around. I'm like, man, I think I just got to, I didn't turn the spots quick enough, you know, and I got toasted. Not toasted like uh, I still was in the top four, but I knew I could have maximized so much. And I just have trouble moving on from some players that I just really like. And two years ago, I did a good job. I learned my lesson. I I just churned the hell out of my team. And last year, I, I I just, I don't know, I held on to my players again at some points where I shouldn't have. Um, And I don't know. I, I enjoyed the the digging for the 15 team leagues you know i really enjoy the player pool in that range i think i think um i think i I don't know i just get more joy and i think like there's more um angles to really best other players if you feel comfortable in there when you know you can everyone has a chance of getting a guy who's gonna play you know seven games that week and it's just a lot more uh i think luck plays into it you know of of just landing into a guy um on the waiver wire it yeah i i don't have as much fun but um i i definitely agree though taking more risk in drafts and also um i'll probably even take catchers a lot higher than i'll even not not a lot higher but i'm saying i'll i'll make sure um like i want two stud catchers because i know um, people say, well, the replacement value is higher, but then it also just brings you closer to everyone else. So you need to have that separation. You know, I want the separation of two really good catchers in in uh 12 team leagues, um, auction leagues. Um, why do you feel like the auctions are just not as popular as snake drafts? I feel like there's so much fun and so much easier to like good to draft and doesn't really get a lot of steam. I think across the industry. I think there's,
1: there's a few reasons. Um, I think in terms of online, online does not nearly produce, and, and the NFB c- NFBC room in particular is outstanding, the auction room. It is. But yeah. relative to in-person, I mean, it, the experience is night and day, um, and it's, it's just com- completely different, and obviously not as fun. I mean, in any case, drafting in-person is a lot more fun, but auctions in particular, it's just so different. Um, and the other thing about auctions, and I feel like you need more preparation. Mm -hmm. I, you, I, you cannot come into an auction ill-prepared. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to panic at some point. Yep. You're going to mess up. I mean, even when you are prepared, I think we've all had auctions where we've just totally blown it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it'll eventually happens. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you know it when you're done with the team you leave $30 on the table or you look at these three positions where you got this crappy $1 guy. Cause you waited too long. Yep. I mean, there's just, it's just the requirement. It, it just takes so much more preparation. It's kind of similar. I would say to you know why is fantasy football so popular and fantasy baseball isn't as popular. I mean, you can walk into a fantasy football league, not really not know much about anything. Be ill-prepared and easily win that league. An auction, I mean, you're not going to come in ill-prepared and win. I mean, it's yeah. just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, so it's just like that fear of not being ready. So people are just like, ah, I'll just go the easy route, and I'll do a snake draft. You can just go safe and pick by ADP. Um, you can't just really go by AAV and just like piece together. You need to have some sort of strategy. It makes sense. And I also feel like in my auctions, I'll totally um, get hung up over something more. <laughs> than in a snake draft, you know, it's like a couple of dollars extra that you spent, and it just like hangs over your head. Where I just got, I gotta move on from this. I got gotta go to the next player or the next next set of strategy. Um, I love it. I mean, the live ones I did this year and uh in New York and Vegas were just, oh man, it's just such a thrill, It's such a rush, and um, there's nothing like it, you know. There, there really isn't, and it's like also too. It, you have to be paying attention to everything. So I also think there's less chance of you kind of zoning out, you know, in in your auctions, like you really have to be on point with every single um, angle there. How do you how do you like to do your teams? Are you like a stars and scrubs kind of guy or um, more of a spread the risk kind of player? So prior to this most years, I would say, in terms
1: of pitching, I was stars and scrubs to a very severe degree where I would basically get the one ace and then I would get probably end up spending for seven spots. I would probably end up spending 15 to 20 bucks total. Hmm, okay. um, this year, I've already done one auction and it was very different. It's probably the best pitching staff on paper, the best pitching staff mm-hmm. I've ever purchased in an auction for a mixed league where I, where I have two or three aces and I'm spending significant amounts on even the lower end guys. Um, it, it's kind of just how the auction fell. Um, and there were just some really, really good values that I really like that were under $5. Um, and I think I was probably more of like a 60, 40 split where typically I'm more of a 70, 30, or even in an ale or in only league, some of my home leagues, I mean, I'll do 85, 15. I mean, wow, it does not, oh, it does not bother me one bit. Wow. As long as I have pickups in season, I would not do this in an auction DC. Absolutely not. But if I can get in season pickups, I'm willing to do that with pitching all day. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I can find pitchers in season, especially with all the injuries that happen now with pitchers.
0: Wow, I love that I love hearing that because you don't hear that a lot, so I love the conviction too that you have in it um because it's definitely um it's sexy when you look at it like i it kind of you know out of my comfort range to do something like that um but that's that's awesome that's awesome Mr to hear. it's exciting it's kind of <laughs> it's great um I mean the pricing right now for the players up at the top, the bats are really. Like through the roof, uh, in a couple of the online auctions that the NFBC had. Um, is that kind of a reason why you feel like maybe a lot of the lower end pitching has good value? Is that all that money is getting thrown up at the top to the batters?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's part of it. Part of it, I just there's some pitchers like we were talking about that ADP 150 to 200. There's a lot of pitchers that I just feel like are really undervalued. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm like really happy with my pitching staffs getting those guys. And then, you know, I'm not, I, I think my ace was scoop was Tarek Skubal. Um, I think he was like $24 and I know on steamer, I think he's like a top three starting pitcher or something like that. And I don't have him that high, but I still feel like, you know, if I'm say I, if I can save 10 to 15 bucks and just take him and, pray that he throws 150 innings mm-hmm. i mean i get him and i get a couple guys in like that 10 to 15 dollar range like a joe musgrove i think i got joe musgrove for
0: like 12 bucks oh, i mean musgrove I could for 12, 12 that. sounds like a fucking steal i, I mean think... i think i think i think everyone's just worried about like the shoulder injury that ended the season but i mean he was a model of health before this strange year but even aside from the toe and the shoulder injury in between that he was just the same old Joe Musgrove he's one of those picks where I feel like uh, a lot of people are going to be looking back this year I'm like man like why didn't I pick him when he was available in this range right (laughs) it's all good yeah
1: yeah there's always those guys that when I first get my first eyes on ADP I don't like to be the first draft so you know there's 10 drafts in the bank he was the first guy that stuck out to me. I think it was him, and the other one, just coincidentally, I think it was you Darvish. And I think he's been at like two ten, or at least he was yeah. for a while. Yeah. And I know he's coming off like a shoulder injury, but and he has an injury history, but still, I mean, he's thirty seven, and he was been just solid for for years. And you know, he's he didn't fall when he pitched. You know. I think his ERA metrics are maybe like showed like a four ERA, but with all the strikeouts he's capable of, just assuming that he stays has some health, I mean, that is a great price. One hundred
0: percent, yeah. That's um, it, that's another guy too. It's just I know just people are just nervous about how you know pitchers end their seasons and it'll probably most notably rise you know if he gets to spring training and he's just looking like you darvish for sure but yeah looking through these aav prices there's definitely um there's definitely that range like you said like kind of mimics d150 to two even even a little higher you know like even a lot of the uh uh, as high as one twenty-ish, like uh, or even high like Justin Steele, you know, range thirteen bucks. Um, Cole Reagans is too. A lot of these guys are in a really good range. It's interesting to see how um I haven't done my auction approach yet, but I'm interested to see how I feel about pitching because last year I was kind of like I got two guys um in that like twenty-two to twenty-five range. Last year it was like getting like a, a combination of Wheeler, Scherzer, or something like that, and then really there was like the 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 five to ten dollar pitcher that was just the biggest part of my value sheet. That was like, oh man, I want all these players here, you know. But now, like looking at it, I think it's just maybe you could probably make a whole staff of of of, of like ten ten to fifteen dollar pitchers, you know, um, and and cheaper um and not have to go up at the top
1: um one other thing i'll say about leagues um where you have fab which would include the auction championship it would include the online championship is we're looking right now mid-january there's still arguably 10 teams that have an unsettled closer situation so in those leagues I know I said before I don't like to dump categories, but I will absolutely dump saves if I'm drafting right now, figuring that I can get quote unquote free saves in week one via fab. um, And there's going to be choices um, with all those guys that hopefully sign and become closers or promoted to closer during spring
0: training. That's such a good point. I think that's that's exactly if you are doing any fab league right now, like an online championship or or the online auctions, it's definitely a route to take where you could maybe just take like one guy you're confident with. say, maybe even if it's in that um you know, like Alzele, Clay Holmes range where it's not expensive, and maybe it's not thirty saves, but it's twenty and then the first big one between now and when the season starts, all that change had come and that first week of fab, you could literally just hit it right then and there. <laughs> you know? Yep. And and then take care of it. That's such a that's such a great point. So kinda makes me wanna get into an auction right now just to um i just gotta you know i'm already like last year i did seven fab leagues and this year i think i'm in the books for like nine and uh, i can't like i'm like i want to do one of these online auctions just as as practice it's just getting into the groove of things but i'm like do i want to add even another fab league you know so i'm trying to i'm trying to be good with it that's why i signed up for the auction dc um ca i think that's a fabulous format and that should be more popular as well because that is just i love those (laughs) i love those so much you know and there's a a whole different strategy in that because um like the top 30 catchers are not ever done by that you know by the first 23 rounds right and in those auctions they they have to go you know by that time so when you get into the reserve snake it's just a different player pool to start with you know <laughs> that's what i've noticed with those and and plus you know it's it's
1: you can literally get three first round picks on your team in that dc there, there's something about that in a dc that it's just like you look at your roster for the rest of the year assuming those three guys pan out and it's like oh my gosh i love looking at this team
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> without a doubt man Oh man, Seth, this was awesome, man. I I think I took enough of your time, uh, but I really appreciate you coming out and talking with me. Um, I love getting to know new people um, and and getting inside their brain and talking fantasy. It's been fantastic uh, and I appreciate that. And um, hopefully we can meet at a live event or do this again sometime for sure, because I think you brought the heat here. I think a lot of actionable uh, stuff that people can take, take to the bank and use in their drafts, man. I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you, Rob, for having me on. I really appreciate it. A lot of fun.
0: hundred percent. And you can find Seth on Twitter at Seth His website, like he mentioned before, Sethvoto.com, And um, thank you for everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. And don't be a bag of shit.